Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And good evening, and we continue the story of Yaakov and his wives and their children. Uh, and we are in Perak Lamad of Bereshit, Pasuk Tetvav. We really need to see Pasuk uh, uh, Yud Dalad again, which said as follows, Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest, and he found some plant, some flower, or maybe according to some, some fruit, in the field, and he brought them to Leah, his mother. So Rachel and Leah were sitting next to each other. And Rachel says at that point, Give me, please, of the Dudaim of your son. And now Rashi explained that Dudaim were Sigli, which according to one version of Rashi, which may not be authentic, is equivalent to Jasmine in Arabic. It's some sort of flower. Says the Pasuk, Pasuk Tetvav. So this is Leah's response. Vatomer la, she said to her. So Leah said back to Rachel. Hama'at kachteich et ishi. Hama'at is, is it little? Ma'at is little and the hay makes it interrogative. Is it little that you have taken et ishi, my husband? Vlakachat gam et dudai and bani and you also take, or Rashi has got something to say on the grammar of vlakachat, so we'll leave it something to do with taking, the dudaim of my son. So um, Leia, uh, is making a sort of kalvachoma, an inference. He's, she's saying, it, not only have you taken my husband, you also want to take the dudaim of my son. The Tomer Rachel, and Rachel said in response, yishkav imach halayla, therefore he will sleep, like lie down, with you tonight, tachat in place of the dudaim of your son. So Rachel says, basically, you can have Yaakov tonight. Yaakov will sleep with you, and I will get some of the Dudaim of your son. So Rashi's uh, got something to say, and, and I think the key, and I'm saying this in advance to help us through this, is the grammar of the word Valakachat. So Rashi says, Valakachat gam et bitmia, as a question. So Rashi tells us straight away that Leah is not making a statement but rather a question, a do you think you're going to do this? And to do furthermore this, in other words, in addition to what you to the dudaim of my son. And then he says, the Targum of Velakachat is Ulamesav. Now, interestingly enough, in the text of the Targum Onkelos that we have, uh, and most have, it doesn't say Ulamesav. It says Vatasbin. And the Tasbin means you will take. Reading Velakachat as um, past tense, 
sort of like lakacht, um, although the, the vowels are slightly different, and then the vav turns it into the future. So if it means v'tazbin in Aramaic, what she's saying is, you've taken my husband, and you will take the dudaim of my son. However, Rashi, his version of the Targum, doesn't say v'tazbin, but says ula mesav, same root, but different grammar. And Rashi mentions it because he wants to understand, he wants to, us to understand the grammar of a lakachat. And ula mesav is an infinitive, roughly translated as the act of taking, rather than you will take. Um, how do you get the act of taking? Rashi in Shemot Perakhaftet Pasuk Aleph says that the word take in Hebrew has two very similar roots. Two different words, they look very similar. One is lokach, lamad kuf chet, and one is kach, kuf chet. And Rashi says they are equivalent, but they are two different roots. One's a three-letter three letter root, one's a two-letter root. Um, interesting question whether it is such a thing as two-letter root. It's a famous dispute amongst the philologists of Hebrew. But the Rashi on that point says there is such a thing as a two-letter root. So the Be'er Yitzchak says, but what he's doing here for the word v'lakachat, it's a two-letter root, kach. The tet hangs on the end as sort of for no purpose as it does in some words. And the lamad, it makes it two, two take, two take. Um, and therefore, she is not saying you will take, but she's saying, Leah is saying to Rachel, you've, it's enough that you've already taken my uh, husband, and the act of taking, you also want. And this is why Rashi, first of all, uh, that explains why Rashi gives us the Targum Ulamesav to tell us it's an infinitive. And secondly, why he adds the word V'la'asot. Because the word La'asot is not there in, in the original Pasuk. So why does Rashi say V'la'asot Ozot? To also do this. Because he needs to make it into an action. Because if it's an infinitive, it's not actually an action of you are going to do something. It's rather, Leah and Rachel are talking about the act of taking. But that doesn't make so much sense if there's a sort of Kalvachoma, an inference. Leah says, you have taken my husband and the act of taking my son's dudaim. Doesn't really make sense with that grammar. So Rashi says it is an infinitive, but you have to read it as if it's turned into a, a specific action. And that's why he adds the word la'asot, to do this also, to do this act of taking. So it's not an abstract act, which actually, according to Rashi, the grammar implies, but rather it's an act that she's going to do. Okay. Um, I think that's all I want to say on that pasuk. It's a bit technical, but let's look at the next one because there's a lot of uh, discussion to say on the next Rashi. So uh, Rachel says, okay, fair enough. You, I want to do the im. Um, you're cross that I've taken your husband, i.e. because he, he got, why is, he, why is Yaakov Leah's husband? Because Leah got married to Yaakov first and then along Rachel came. At least that's how Leah sees it in this particular perspective. So Rachel says, fair enough. Here's the issue. You're crossed that I have Yaakov. I want the Dudaim. Let's make a swap. And that's exactly what she proposes. And she says, So he will sleep with you tonight. Says Rashi. The sleeping of this night was mine, 
ואני נותנה לך, and I give it to you, תחת דודאי בנך, in place of or in exchange of the דודאים of your son. And then Rashi continues, ולפי שזלזלה במשכב הצדיק, because Rachel made light of sleeping with the tzaddik, lo zachta lihikaver imo. She did not merit to be buried with him. So what's the Rashi doing? So there's basically two parts to this Rashi. First of all, Rashi explains the arrangement, the domestic arrangement that Rachel and Leah had. It seems that Yaakov spent one night with one and one night with the other. Not clear if it alternated, but they divided up the time. And, to the, the, uh, and why does Rashi say this? Because this explains what Rachel was giving. It doesn't make sense that Rachel to say he can sleep with you tonight um, unless Rachel was actually giving something up. If we assume that Yaakov would choose for himself which one to sleep with, then Rachel hasn't got the power to say, okay, you can sleep with him tonight. Um, it would be, if it's up to Yaakov to choose, then it's up to Yaakov to choose. And Rachel couldn't even say, you know, I won't, I won't uh, like um, encourage him to come to me. I'll, I'll like uh, stay out the picture tonight. That doesn't work because Yaakov can still make the choice. So the only way that Rachel can say, I will give him to you for tonight is if it was previously allocated to her. So we learned that they had this domestic arrangement and that domestic arrangement explains what Rachel is offering in this verse. And the second thing to say is this bit at the end. Because she made light of sleeping with the tzaddik, she didn't merit to be buried with him. First of all, what is the zilzal? What is the making light? So there's two possibilities, and the, the Mepharshim give two, at least two different answers. One is she swaps a night with the tzaddik for a bunch of flowers, um, which seems to be a poor deal and is treating Yaakov's presence with her lightly. If she thinks it's only worth a bunch of flowers, then that is a zilzal. The other suggestion is she uses the word mishkav. Now, I'm using the word sleep with, with its proper euphemistic connotation, um, because the Torah does, because Rachel does. She uses the word mishkav, as in to sleep with. Um, she could have found a nicer word, as in to be with or to spend time with, I'm not quite sure which word, there's probably quite a few she could have used, but the word mishkav has a very clear connotation, and it's perhaps an inappropriate way to talk about Yaakov Avino, and yet she did. So perhaps those are possibilities for what is the zilzal. But I want to talk about the last bit, because uh, I find this quite exciting. Um, why, when Yaakov, oh, sorry, when Rashi says, because of this, because of this treating light the sleeping with the tzaddik, that's why she didn't get buried in Ma'aratamachpela. Why is this a problem? Because there are three other pesukim which tell us she's not going to be buried in Ma'aratamachpela. Apparently for three other reasons. The first is not really a reason, but when Yaakov first met Rachel, he cried, and Rashi there says, uh, that was in Perikavtet Pasuk Yudchet. Rashi said that he brought two reasons why Yaakov cried. The second one was because he came penniless. And the first reason was because he knew that he wasn't going to be buried with Rachel. 
And yet here we're told that it only came about that he wasn't buried with Rachel because she made light of the of sleeping with the tzaddik. So you can possibly answer that one by saying um, it was prophetic. Yaakov, we see in many ways, had the Ruach HaKodesh, or actually Nevoah. Uh, Rachel also had the Ruach HaKodesh. So it was prophetic. They knew that a circumstance would come about, which hadn't come about yet, which would prevent Rachel from being buried with Yaakov. Indeed, the muscular David says that's the problem with that answer of Rashi, which is why Rashi over there in Perikavtet brings that second answer, that Yaakov cried because he came penniless. Because the muscular David said Rashi is uncomfortable with the idea that it's prophetic about something that hasn't been caused yet. But you can answer that one by saying, as I say, it's prophetic. Another one we can possibly deal with is in Perik Lamad Aleph, Pasuk Lamad Bet, I think Bet, at the end of Al Parsha where Yaakov has his final showdown with Lavan, and Rachel steals Lavan's uh, trophim, domestic idols, perhaps. We'll learn more about it over time. And she hides them. And Yaakov doesn't know this. And Yaakov says, whoever has the trophim will die, showing that he's uh, got his integrity and he doesn't want to be part of a theft from Lavan, and he doesn't know that anyone's stolen them, and he certainly doesn't know that Rachel's stolen them. So Yaakov, uh, the Pasuk says there, sorry, Rashi says there, from that curse, Rachel died uh, on the way. And we know that's a reference to the way Yaakov describes the death of Rachel. Later, when he's speaking to Yosef on his own deathbed, Al-Haderech, sorry, Baderech, is, is a reference to where ya- Rachel died. So she died because Yaakov said, whoever stole the Teraphim will die, and it turned out to be Rachel. However, that's not quite the same thing. So I think we can uh, answer this question easily. It's not there that, uh, that uh, Rashi says that Rachel isn't buried in Maratamachpela because of Yaakov's curse. Uh, he, she dies, perhaps prematurely, because of Yaakov's curse, but that doesn't really affect her burial place. After all, she died on the way to Ephrat, as we all know from our geography, uh, because many of us have been there, if France on the way to Hebron, to Maratamachpela, if she died there, it wouldn't have been so hard to take her to Maratamachpela. So the second instance, well, I'm not going in order, but the second instance of Rashi saying some reference to the future death of Rachel, we can say is a different matter. That's about where she dies and when she dies, not about where she's buried. That's the answer of the Divrei David, the Taz, on that one. But we're left with the big one. And the big one is um, Memchet Zayin. Peruk Memchet Pasuk Zayin. That's the occasion when Yaakov asks Yosef to bury Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael, in Marat Machpelah. And uh, without trying to psychoanalyze it too much, it sounds like Yaakov feels that he has to apologize to Yosef that Yaakov himself did not do the same for Yosef's mother, Ayi Rachel. There's a sort of, a, that's the tension. Yaakov says to Yosef, please bury me, Yaakov, in Marat Machpelah. But I have to acknowledge that I didn't bury your mother, Rachel, in Marat Machpelah. And Rashi there says that Yaakov said to Yosef, you have to know that I was ordered to do it, as it were, by Hashem, so that in the future, when the Jews are led into exile towards Babylon, and they pass by Keva Rachel, because it's on the way, wherever Kever Rachel is, the place we call Kever Rachel is outside Bethlehem, but maybe that's not Kever Rachel, but anyway, it's somewhere in that region vaguely. It's probably more likely to be south of Yerushalayim rather than north of Yerushalayim. Sorry, other way around, probably more likely to be north rather than south. 
But anyway, um, wherever Kever Rachel is, this is all the words of Rashi put into the mouth of Yaakov, explaining to Yosef that ya- Rachel is deliberately buried on the way, not in Maratamachpela, because when the Jews pass by on their way to exile, Rachel will rise from her grave and daven for them. So that's the big contrast, and that's the big problem. Rashi here on our Pasuk says, Rachel is not buried in Maratamachpela because she made light of Shkiva. Whereas in Perak Memchet, we have a completely different reason why Rachel is in Marata Machpelah. So how do we handle this particular contrast? So we have a number of answers. The Maharal, for instance, says, it's true that there was a special reason why she shouldn't be buried in Marata Machpelah, but had she had enough sukhut, she would have been in Marata Machpelah after all. The fact that she had to be the one who rises from her grave to Daven for the Bnei Israel as they pass by her on their way to exile, that shows a certain lack of zechut because had she had more merit, she would have been in Marat Why didn't she have more merit? Because of this incident here where she was made light of sleeping with the tzaddik. Which is perhaps similar, the way I read it, is perhaps similar to the Mizrahi who says, Zevezegorem, which is a classic... Um, Halachic, sorry, Talmudic principle, this and this both cause um, the result. Uh, it's usually said in terms of two people cause damages together um, or two different things cause cause and effect. So says the Mizrahi, why was she buried in There are two reasons and they combine together to lead to that result. The one reason we have here and the one reason that we have there in Perak Memechet, they combine. The Maskele David um, Uh, I think uh, taking herself to a new level, saying, who says that she has to be buried in Keverochel in order to be roused to pray for the Bnei Israel when they go into exile? Is Hashem not able to inform her wherever she is buried that the Bnei Israel are going into exile? And if he needs her to daven for them, she can daven from them wherever she is. So yes, she needs to daven for the Bnei Israel. That, that's something that is appropriate to Rachel, is necessary for Rachel. But does she need to be buried outside Marat Machpelah for that? No. So, uh, had she again, had she had more zechut, she would have ended up in Marat Machpelah, and Hashem could have made her, could have told her of the news of the exile, and she could have davened there. So we see that it's true that um, Yaakov was told to bury her on the way, but that was only because she lacked the merit to be in Marat HaMachpelah and to daven from there. Um, I, I realize probably all these three answers that I've given so far are variations on the same theme that they, they uh, no, I swear the last one is not. The last one um, is, is not saying that the two things caused each other, uh, two things combined, but you could have had one without the other. And the Imre Shefer, there's loads of answers to this one, but I'm just uh, picking out a few. The Imre Shefer said something uh, that really does go in a completely different direction that if Rachel had merited, or rather hadn't lost her merit, yes, Hashem wanted her buried on the way at Keva Rachel, so she can daven for those in exile. But if she hadn't lost her merit, Yaakov would have been buried with her there. Yaakov would have been buried on the way together with Rachel. What she lost was being buried with Yaakov. 
So she has to be buried on the way, according to what we're saying now. But as a result of making light of sleeping with the tzaddik, she lost the right to sleep with him, as it were, for eternity. Which introduces a nice midda-keneged midda theme. So we were, what I just said makes it on a very simple level. She made light of sleeping with him for one night, and so she ends up buried separately from him. You can go a little bit further, and Imre Shefer, I think it's Imre Shefer, does, and he says like this. So, sorry, it's not Imre Shefer, it's the um, uh, Yune Rashi, which is a contemporary source, which I like a lot, who says that why did she make light of sleeping with the Soviet? Why was she prepared to give away a night uh, by his side? So perhaps we can suggest, this is purely speculation, that she realized she was infertile, uh, which is obviously a pain that she dealt with all the time, so she feels that the purpose of sleeping with him is for the sake of conception. That's not going to happen. So there's not much point to it anyway. That was a mistake. Because the purpose of sleeping with the Sadiq is not just for a biological need, but for the Kedusha of being in Yaakov's presence, of being so close to Yaakov, so physically close to Yaakov. She didn't realize that that was also valuable. Now, how, what, what is the, the best testament to the value of being with the tzaddik, but not necessarily for biological reasons or for reasons of conception. The best proof is what happens after death. So it turns out that Rachel, that Leah is with Yaakov forever, not in a physical way, but nevertheless absorbing the Kedusha in some sort of um, spiritual way. And that's what Rachel misses out on. And you can say because she didn't appreciate the value of being in the Sadiq's presence to, to that close to him, that very physically close to him, because she thought it was just for conception, it wasn't going to work for her. So as a result, she misses out on being with him forever in a non-physical way. Interesting idea. Um, yeah, I think that covers it. So I think we've gone through the four or well, the three possible contradictions to the Rashi here, and we've tried to show that they are not contradictions after all. Let's move on to the next pasuk. So what we now have seen is that Yaakov, as it were, has been set up to spend the night with Leah rather than Rachel. So pasuk Tet Zion says, Yaakov min hasadeh." Yaakov came from the field. He'd been out there shepherding as he is. Leah Likroto and Leah came out to greet him. Vatomer and she said, Elaitavo, to me you will come. Ki Sachar Sacharticha, because I have surely hired you, but Dudae Bani, with the Dudaim of my son. And he slept with her on that night. Although it doesn't quite say on that night. We'll come back to that. Um, I've just got a note saying my internet connection is unstable. I hope I don't lose you or you don't lose me. If it does, I'll try and come back as soon as possible. Okay. Rashi says on the words, Sachar um, Ticha, says Rashi, Natati Rachel Sachara. I have given to Rachel your hire. Referring to the Dudaim. Why does Rashi need to say this? Well, if you hire a, I don't know, a car mechanic, the car mechanic comes and fixes your car, and at the end of the process, it's normal, you pay him some money. That's called hiring a car mechanic. He gets the money. It's very strange in this case. She says to Yaakov, I've hired you, but there's no payment to Yaakov. Yaakov doesn't get the fee. He gets nothing. 
So Rashi has to explain that the hiring is of the form of giving the money or the, the hire to Rachel. I have given to Rachel, referring to the Dudaim, and that is your hire. So Rashi has to explain why Yaakov doesn't get anything, even though Leah says, I have hired you. Okay, next Rashi. Balaila Hu. Says Rashi, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Siyao. Hashem helped him, as in Siyata Deshmaya. Shiyatza Misham Yesacha. That Yesacha came from this, because we know that, well, we're about to find out, Leah's going to conceive, and she's going to have son number five, which is Yesachah. Why does Rashi say this? Where does HaKadosh Baruch Hu come from? So based on the Gemara in Nida Lamad Aleph, Ahmad Aleph, um, the Gemara there, or rather Rashi, uh, when he comments on the Gemara, makes the same point, basically, but he quotes in his Dibra Matchil in the Gemara the word Hu. The word Hu is odd here. Because you, you sort of naturally expect to read Balaila Hahu. Balaila Hahu means that night. What's Balaila Hu? So the, the Gemara reads it as Hu is He. He, as in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He is a reference to Hashem. Um, there's a good basis for this because in Yeshaya Perak Membet Pasuk Chet, Hashem says, Ani Hashem, Hu Shemi. I am Hashem, I am God. Hu is my name. So we do see that who is a name of God. So Rashi, as I say, in the Gemara, says, or sort of implies strongly, that it's from the word who that we know that Hashem helped him. And the next thing is, how did he help him? Well, our Rashi here doesn't say anything. But Rashi on the Gemara says, who sayahal, he helped, actually it says there, helped her, Shanata Chamoro Shel Yaakov, he turned the donkey of Yaakov, La Ohel Leah, to the tent of Leah. And then the Gemara, Rashi on the Gemara says, similar to what he said here, that night was actually designated for, he says there, the others, interestingly, because uh, there were three other wives. Um, whereas Rashi on our Pasuk says it was Rachel's night. Anyway, so Rashi there on the Gemara says the help from Hashem came by turning Yaakov's donkey into the direction of Leah's tent and not in the direction of Rachel's tent. Rashi doesn't say that on our Pasuk, either because he doesn't need to or because he doesn't think it's he doesn't think it's the simple meaning of the Pasuk. Although it is pointed out that perhaps it is the simple meaning of the Pasuk, um, Le- Leah says, um, Eli Tavo. She does not say, Bo Eli. Now, Bo Eli would be an imperative. Come to me. Why doesn't she say, Come to me? Ah, because according to the Gemara, he's already coming to her. His donkey is leading him that direction. And the words, Eli Tavo, could be read as, You are coming to me, or you will come to me. As if sorry, Leah has noticed that by the trajectory that the donkey is taking, you will come to me. So Elaitavo is, to be honest, ambiguous. But had it said, Leah says, come to me, i.e. you over there, don't go that way, come this way, it wouldn't have been Elaitavo, it would have been Bo Eli. So perhaps from that we can see that that's the idea that the Gemara brings, which Rashi brings in the Gemara, that, that the donkey was already heading towards uh, Leah's tent, and that is the uh, meaning of Hashem help them. Um, and the Gemara also says that the bracha 
of um, that Yaakov gave to Yisachar on Yaakov's deathbed, Yisachar Chamor Gorem, which is sometimes translated as Yisachar is a bony ass, but it can also be read as Yisachar, the donkey caused. The donkey caused Yisachar to be conceived. How did the donkey cause Yisachar to be conceived? That's what we're saying now, that the donkey turned towards Leah's tent to make sure that Rachel, uh, sorry, that Leah and Yaakov spent the night together, and the result of that was Yisachar. Now, there's another thing we need to explain. This word of Rashi, again, HaKadosh Baruch What's the big deal about Yisachar coming from there? Now, you could answer that saying, that's not a question. He had another son. It's very nice. And that son happened to be Yisachar. Or you could say, as the Gemara in Eruvin, Tav Kuf Amad Bet, seems to imply that there was something special about Yisachar. And indeed there was. Because the Gemara, based on uh, the word, uh, the, in Divrei Yomim, it writes, uh, the sons of Yisacha were the knowers of understanding for the times. Um, which means, and, and Rashi says this elsewhere, that the people of Yisacha were the experts in interpreting the calendar. They knew when Rosh Chodesh was going to be. They knew when Leap Years were going to be. That was their, that was their thing. And that's a mark of great merit that the, the, the Yisacha people were the ones who told the rest of the Jews when to keep the Chagim. That's a very, very important thing. So all the Shifteka, all the 12 sons were pretty special. But maybe Yisacha has a certain specialness and he came from this particular event and that shows how Hashem was helping, let's call it Yaakov and Rachel, at this particular time. So then what happened? Um... Vishmah Elokim El Sarah, sorry, El Leah, the Tahar, the Tailed Liakov Ben Hamishi. So, as a result of this encounter, Hashem listened to Leah and she conceived and she bore to Yaakov a fifth son, who we're about to find is called Yisachar. Says Rashi, Vishmah Elokim El Leah, Shahita Mitava Umachazeret. She was desiring and persisting, different ways of translating the chazeret, but I'll go with persisting, to have lots of tribes, i.e. to have lots of children. Says, again, says Rashi, on the words, Hashem listened to Leah, because or that she was so desirous to have children. What's the problem here? What is Rashi doing? What is Rashi doing for us? Hashem listened to Leah. When it says Hashem listened to Leah, what would we normally expect Leah to be doing as a result, which led to Hashem listening? Praying. That's the normal um, expression. Hashem listened means Hashem heard their prayers. Or Hashem heard might make it stronger if I translate it as Hashem heard. But the problem is we don't find Leah praying. And normally, if Hashem listens to a prayer, we're told what the prayer was and who was doing the praying. So Rashi has to say that it wasn't because Hashem was that Leah was praying, but Hashem, but sorry, but Leah was doing. Sometimes doing is more uh, more of a message than than praying, maybe. And in this case, what was Leah's intention, and not just intention, but efforts, but practical accounts? So what does it mean she was was persisting to have children? 
Well, it could refer to Leah giving Zilpa. When Leah saw that she, Leah, had stopped having children, she didn't stop. She had two more by the surrogate. Um, and in this occasion, she takes the opportunity to be with Yaakov again and to conceive from Yaakov. So this is her um, desiring and umachazeret and persisting to have children. So we can perhaps understand that what Rashi is saying on the word Vayishma, as he says elsewhere, sometimes it means to listen, sometimes it means to understand. So I would suggest that Rashi is suggesting that this is one of those examples where it means he understood. He saw what Leah was doing and understood that she deserved to have more children. And that's why she gave, he gave her more children. Next Pasuk says, natan elokim natati shifchati le'ishi. Leah said, Hashem has given my reward that I gave my maidservant to my husband, the tikra shamo yisascha or yisacha. It's always a great debate whether the second shin is sounded or not. Um, sin, sorry. Um, it's interesting, there's no Rashi on this, so I'm just going to pose a question to which we don't, I don't have an answer. So we heard before the whole story about the Dudaim, and she said to, to um, Yaakov, I have hired you. She said, So we might assume that that's going to lead to the word Yisoscha. But then she says, it is from the word Sachar, Yisoscha is from the word schar, but from a completely different schar, from the schar of giving Zilpa to Yaakov so he could have two more children with her. So what's happened to the schar that she, uh, the reference to schar in the story of the who's, who sleeps the night and, and how Yisoscha was conceived, that seemed to have been put sort of on the back burner because this Pasuk says the schar that I gave my maidservant to you. And Rashi doesn't help us, so we'll move on. Pasuk Yotet, the Tahar old Leah, Leah conceived again. No uh, funny business with Dudaim and swapping the night. She just, next time she was with Yaakov or a subsequent time, she conceived again. The Taled ben Shishi le Yaakov, and she bore a sixth son to Yaakov. Says Rashi, nothing. So let's go straight to Pasuk Kaf. The Tome Leah, Zavadani Elohim Oti. Um, I might as well straight away. Sorry, Zeved Tov. Zavadani Elohim Oti Zeved Tov. So a Zeved Tov has been Zavadid to me. Pardon the uh, grammar. Um, let's go straight to Rashi on that. Zeved Tov says Rashi Katargumo. Read it like the Targum. And the Targum of Zeved Tov is Chalak Tov, a good portion. So this is where I want to say it's a straightforward Rashi. We wouldn't know what the word Zeved is, so I didn't check if it occurs anywhere else in the Chumash. I think it's pretty rare, and it may even not be anywhere else in the Chumash. So Rashi is assuming you might not be familiar with the word, for good reason, because it's not a familiar word. And he says, look at the Targum. And the Targum says the word Chalak, it means a portion. So Leah is saying, Zavadani Elohim Oti Zeved Tov, Hashem has given me a good portion. But that's not the really hard word in the Pasuk. The really hard word in the Pasuk is coming very soon. Hapam yizbeleini ishi. This time, my husband will zaval me. 
Because I have borne him six sons, and she called his name Zavulan. Zavulan from Yisbalani. But we really don't know what Yisbalani means, so Rashi is going to help us. On the word Yisbalani, he says, Lashan Beit Zavul. If we look in Malachim uh, Aleph Chet Yud Gimel, we find this reference to Beit Zavul, where uh, that's the uh, story where Shlomo HaMelech has just built the Bet Mikdash and he's dedicating it and he prays that it will be a Beit Zavul for Hashem. What is a Beit Zavul? Well, let's just go a little bit further in the Rashi because he brings a French word, Urbergiri. Um, I don't know if that was good pronunciation. I wasn't trying to make fun of French pronunciation there, but I've no idea how to pronounce it. Um, but apparently it means the main place of residence. As Rashi goes on to say, Beit Mador, the place where you live, Dor from Dira and Lador. Um, so he's bringing basically three things. He calls it a Beit Zavul. He gives us the French word, which I won't say reading again, and he calls it Beit Mador. But Beit Zavul is the, is the, is the comparison, sorry, it's the reference where you find the same word, where it clearly means a place to dwell, place to live. So the first example is, um, I'm showing you, in the book of Malachim, Aleph, you'll find the same word. What does it mean there? Well, in French, the, the French equivalent is a main residence, and the Hebrew equivalent, translating it, if you like, from, from the Bible word to a word we'll understand more, Beit Madur, the place of the main residence. So therefore, when she says, Yisbalini Ishi, um, what does it mean? Well, let's keep going with the Rashi. Me'ata, Lo imi. From now on, the main place where he lives won't be anywhere except with me, which is the uh, rabbinic double negative form. We would say more comfortably in English, it will only be with me. Um, in other words, this is the meaning of Yisbalani. My husband will dwell with me. Because you could have read it as Yisbal Oti, he will make me dwell could be somewhere else. Yisbalani, um, being rare and the grammar being obscure, could be read as, he will make me dwell. But it doesn't, it means, he will dwell with me. As Rashi makes clear. Um, but it's still a bit funny. You might expect her to say, he will live with me, full stop. But Rashi doesn't expound it that way. The main dwelling... So interestingly enough, um, he uses the French word, which I'm told means main dwelling, as opposed to only dwelling. And he spells it out very clearly here. The main dwelling will be with me. Why does he say that? Well, the answer is obvious, because Leah, of course, knows that there are three other wives, or one other wife and two other concubines. And she's not saying that she will monopolize Yaakov. She's saying that she should now be the Ikeritabayat, the mainstay of the house, the one he spends most of the time with. Why? Now that it's finished the Rashi, Shiyesh li banim keneged kol nashav. Because I have sons, the same number as all the other wives. We've known from before, Rashi makes clear, that the Imahat knew there were going to be 12 sons. She's now on son number six. So the maximum that the others between them can have is six. 
So she's got the, not the majority yet, but she's got 50%, which is more than anybody else is going to produce. And therefore, that's why she thinks the main dwelling should be with her. Why does Rashi go into um, this bit about the main dwelling and because of six sons? Well, the answer to that is simple, because the Pasuk does. And Rashi has actually explained the logic of Leah, which is not explicit in the verse. If we go back to the verse, she says, Hapam Yizbeleni Ishi, this time my husband, we now know means, will make his main dwelling with me. Ki lo shishavanim, because I have sat, had, born, I've born to him six sons. What's the big deal? Is she just saying, well, that's a lot. You know, I've done really well. Uh, like the, the mothers in Egypt who bore six in one go, I haven't done it in one go, but I've got up to number six. No, says Rashi, that's not the point. The point is, it's six is half of 12. That's what she's saying. Otherwise, just to say, I've got six sons doesn't make any sense. So Rashi makes it make sense by saying six is half of 12. I've got as many as all the other wives put together. Let's go uh, on. Can I just ask something quickly? Yes, please. Or a comment, which my mum and I were discussing, that could it um, maybe be an allusion to the fact that Leah and Yaakov are both buried in Marada Machpelah, like so ultimately the home is together, as opposed, that was on my mum. <laughs> I put it on both of us, but it was on Okay. <laughs> as opposed to like the Rashi just before. Like, yes. Um, before okay. I didn't see that. Uh, and in my studies, which doesn't mean it's not there. And um, maybe it's a stretch to say the word Russia uses twice is dira, bet madur and ika dirato. I, we would have to check carefully if the word dira could be referring to living in the afterlife or living after death. Um, I've got a funny feeling it doesn't. Um, but it might, I may be wrong. My funny feeling may be wrong. We may, maybe that's a legitimate reading of it. And that does actually fit quite nicely. I mean, we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time on this business um, that Rashi had said, um, where are we? Just seeing how many Pasukim earlier. Um, that was in Pasuk uh, 15. Um, and we're now up to Kav. So five Pasukim earlier, Rashi had made the point that she's not going to move in Maratha Machpelah. And now Rashi makes the point that Leah claims that she's got Ikadirato, the main living with him. And it's certainly an interesting idea. Uh, it may be sort of poetic or it may be correct to say that there's a link between the two. So I will thank you for your point. Uh, it's certainly on a poetic level. It's very, it's very beautiful, actually, that she's saying whether I have him in my life because maybe you could even say she knows that his heart is still with Rachel and his main residence is still with Rachel. But thanks to your suggestion that they're talking about Leolam Haba, where she is going to be the Ikadirato. Nice idea. Thank you. Okay, next person, Kaf Aleph. The Achar Yalada Bat. And after she bore a daughter, the Tikra et Shema Dina. And she called her name Dina. Says Rashi, Dina, Pershu Rabotenu, Shadana Leia Din Baatzma. Our rabbis explained that Leia judged a judgment about herself. Ah, that's how you get the word Dina, Din. Okay. And what was the judgment about herself? Im ze zachar, lotahe rochel achoti, keechat hashfachat. If this is male. So now we're learning that this is after Leah became pregnant. 
And she says about the baby within her, if it's a male, i.e. one of the 12 sons of Yaakov, then Rachel, my sister, will not be like one of the maidservants. Just get the math very quickly. Leah's already got six. Um, Zilha and Bilpa have each got two. So we're up to ten. So there's only two left. If Leah has another son, that means only one for Rachel, who will be less of a mother, if you like, sorry, less in terms of numbers, than even Zilha and Bilpa. So therefore, continues Rashi, the hit palala, alav, she davened on it, male, the nechpach lenakeva, and it turned into a female. That's the story that the Gemara in Brachot, Samvapera Daf Samach says, and that's what Rashi brings here to explain, well, to explain what? To explain a few things. First of all, there's something which is very obviously missing from the naming of Dina, which applies to every one of the sons, which is the reason for the name. So again, you can see this as what I like to call a classic Rashi. Rashi notices a deviation from the norm that it is odd that here we have a daughter with a name without an explanation. So Rashi is going to give the explanation and Rashi fills in the gap. Ah, you might ask, that still begs the question, why wasn't the explanation given in the Pasuk? So there's an interesting answer I saw. Um, the Nachlat Yaakov says that it wasn't written explicitly in the Pasuk because that would have been a genai, a disgrace to Rachel. If Rachel, who does end up with two children, but if the Pasuk were to say explicitly the Rachel only ended up with two children, she wasn't really going to get those two children, she was only really going to get one, but because Leah Daven for her, she ends up with two, that's, that's not so respectful to Rachel. It's not such a good, uh, good look. So that's why the story of the naming of Dina was relegated, if you like, to the Midrash, and in this case Rashi, rather than put explicitly in the Pasuk. Now, Rashi does say, in a way he tells the story, that there was a male, the Nehepach Lenakeva, and it switched to a female. Perhaps this explains um, why there's something else missing in the Pasuk. What is missing? In every other case, um, except with Zilpah, and there was an ex explanation for that because she was very young, we read the Tahar. She conceived, and then she bore whatever. Um, so with the two children of Zilpah, we didn't have that, but with all the others, we do. But we don't have it here. We don't have it here. So the Chizkuni um, suggests that the reason we don't have Tahar is because there wasn't a conception of a daughter. There was a conception of a son. And Achar... After, after what? Now, after is funny, because if it's just to say, well, this event happened after the previous event, you don't need to say that. The general rule is, unless we're told otherwise, Pasuk Kavalov comes after Pasuk Kaf. What happens in Kavalov happens after Pasuk Kaf. So why do we need to say after? Ah, after something. This also might be part of what Rashi's answering. After something happened. What happened? Leah davened. But before Leah davened, says the Chizkuni, she didn't conceive a son. Sorry, she didn't conceive a daughter. She conceived something else. She conceived a son. So when it says um, Yalda Bat, that doesn't come after the Tahar, which would normally read as she conceived what she then gave birth to. But rather it comes after she davened, as Rashi explained. Um, by the way, the Gemara asks, um, or the Gemara has a principle that if uh, somebody is pregnant or their wife is pregnant and they want one gender or the other, 
The Gemara says, suggests they want one particular gender, but uh, we're more enlightened than that, perhaps. Sorry, I shouldn't say we're more enlightened by the Gemara. We have a, perhaps, we, we, we I'll stop talking. <laughs> uh, if you want to govern for one gender or another, you shouldn't. That's a tefillat shav, because the gender's already been decreed. It's too late. Um, when the very first chromosome, uh, whatever, <laughs> it's been decided which gender it is. And the Gemara says you can't govern for one gender or the other. And yet, Leah explicitly did. More than that, Leah governed to switch the gender from one to the other. So the Gemara answers by saying, Nisim are different. When it comes to miracles, they're a different case. So this was a miracle, but it was an exception because Leah was a Tzadikus who deserved that miracle. Um, I think we've got time for one more verse. And it goes like this. So now, after Rachel has waited and waited and waited, Leah had four sons, uh, Bilhah had two, Zilpah had two, Leah has another two, then Leah has a daughter, and finally, we, we can feel the relief that Rachel, who's been waiting so long, Hashem remembered Rachel, and he listened to her, Elohim, sorry, Elohim listened to her, and he opened her womb, i.e. she was now able to conceive. Says Rashi, Hashem remembered Rachel, she, as he remembered her, that she had transferred the signs to her sister. So this is the famous story, which Rashi has already brought once, um, that on the night of the wedding, Yaakov and Rachel had worked out secret signs so that Yaakov could be sure he was marrying Rachel. At the last minute, Rachel saw that Leah was being led to the chuppah, and she thought that if Leah doesn't know the secret signs, she will be embarrassed because the wedding will be called off, so she gave her the signs. And it's worth pointing out that Rachel didn't know that Rachel herself was going to end up married to Yaakov one week later. She thought she was giving up Rachel, uh, Yaakov forever. So some people are prepared to go to their death, she was prepared, in a sense, to give up what she wanted of her life. That was the greatness of giving up the Simani. So Hashem remembered that. And then there's something else. Versha Haita Metzera. And she was troubled. Shema Ta'aleb Goraloshal Esav. Lest she end up literally in the lot of Esav. She was worried she was going to end up married to Esav. Why? Shema Yergashena Yaakov. She was worried that perhaps Yaakov would divorce her because she hadn't got any children. Um, and Esau the Russia, he thought the same thing when he heard that he had no, she had no children. And we'll come to the last bit in a moment. Um, I want to say, why does Rashi introduce two separate things? Why does Rashi say, Hashem remembered that she'd given the simanim, the signs, to her sister, and that she was troubled lest she fall into the lot of Esau. Two separate things. So the answer is, Rashi notices that there's two verbs in the Pasuk about Hashem, something about Hashem and Rachel. First, Vayizkor Elohim et Rachel, and secondly, Vayishma Eleha Elohim. Why the repetition? And why two different verbs? And what's the difference between those two different verbs? So remembering is something that's happened in the past that's not there anymore. So it's an action that had happened previously. 
I, what's the action that Rachel had done that would cause Hashem to remember that action? Answer, giving the Samanim, which as I explained a moment ago, was a great, great act of Chesed. And what's Vayishma Eleha Elohim? Hashem listened to her. Well, again, we have a similar problem that we had before with a similar answer. We don't see Rachel davening that Hashem hears her, but it means again that Hashem understood her situation and understood the, tra- the uh, trauma that she was going through. If she doesn't have children, she fears, rightly or wrongly, it's hypothetical, so we don't know, that Yaakov would divorce her and say, you're not actually the right one for me. And she'd end up with Esau. As we learned earlier, Leah, her eyes were weak because she spent all her time crying because she knew that Lavan had two daughters, um, Rivka had two sons, and it was natural that they would pair up. And Leah thought she'd end up with the older one because she's the older sister, and she didn't want to end up with Esau. Now, Rachel feels a similar sort of emotion. And, and in a sense, it's worse because Rachel, by failing to produce children, might be considered that she's not the Batzug, she's not the right pair, she's not the right match for Yaakov after all. And if she's not the right match for Yaakov, then she ends up with plan B, namely married to Esau. And that is what she is afraid of. And that's what Hashem listens to, as in understands. And the last thing we'll say tonight is what I used to think was, was an odd thing that Rashi adds in the next line, but I think I now understand. He says, having said that Asaph also thought that he was going to end up marrying Rachel by the same process, he brings a support for this from a piot, from a poem. Not quite the right uh, translation, but you get the idea. From a piot, which is in the Rosh Hashanah Machzor, which I think there are many, not many communities that say these piotim today. These are even not the ones in Chazar Sashatz, but even before that, on the uh, second, no, so the first day of Rosh Hashanah, in the bit uh, before the Shachri Shemana Esrei, there's various piyutim, and there's the following reference. Um, so, sorry, Rashi says, Hu sheyased ha-payot, this is what the poet um, based it on, when he said in the poem, in the piyut, that some people, but not many people say, on Rosh Hashanah, the following. Ha-adman kavat shalo chala, the red one saw that she had not conceived. Tzava lakachta lo. He wanted to take her for himself. And she was frightened. So in poetic Aramaic, we have those words, which Rashi is translating for us. And it's not translating, I'm translating. Rashi is bringing as a proof for what he just said, that Aesop also was getting excited about the idea of marrying Rachel, and she was unhappy about that. Probably more than unhappy. Now, why does Rashi quote a piot from Rosh Hashanah of all places? And this is what I was always bothered by, but I think the answer is actually simple. This piot is written by Rabbi Eliezer HaKalir, who's written the vast majority of our piotim and our kinot, who, according to uh, tradition, was a tana. Um, going back to the time, he was actually the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Uh, that's what people say. Others say, no, he was a 7th century Payatan. Either way, in fact, he is an earlier source for Rashi. And Rashi uses sources that came before Rashi, usually Midrashim or Gemaras, um, sometimes things that he's found in books, and sometimes 
things that have been composed by Payatim, by poets. So whether you say Rabbi Elazar Kalia was a Tana, so he's a really good source, or he was a 7th century uh, Payatan, so he's still four centuries before Rashi, he represents an earlier source. So Rashi wants to find a source text for what he's claiming in order to explain the Pasuk. He finds it in this occasion, not in a Midrash, not in a Gemara, but in a Piyot, and that's also worth quoting as a source for Rashi's position. So uh, we will stop there, and in Yitzhashem, we will continue next week with the birth of Yosef.